from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us, sustaining it through the ages that we might have it even today. We've heard it read and we have understanding, but we recognize that we need more than our human earthly understanding can afford us. So God, we need spiritual understanding. We need you to open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things. Lord, we long for you to teach us and train us, correct us, even rebuke us for righteousness sake. Oh God, we long to be more like our savior, Jesus. So work in our hearts this morning. And help me, your servant, O God, protect me from error. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. And we ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I came across a story this week that might be just one of the greatest examples of selfishness that I have ever seen. The story was about a man named Glenn Wolf. He went by the name Scotty, Scotty Wolf, the man known for holding the world record for monogamous unions, marriages. In his 89 years of life, he got married 29 different times. Did you catch that? 29 <laughs> different times. The article I read about him described him this way, and I'll read it as they wrote it. He married teenagers and grandmothers, farm girls and drug addicts, virgins and prostitutes, preachers and thieves, taking and shedding partners as casually as a square dancer. He married some women for years, others for months, a few for days, but he loved and cherished each one in his own odd way. Not a Christian source that wrote this article. Well, granting an interview on his deathbed just days before uh, he died, and he was alone and penniless when he died, he was asked whether or not he had any regrets about his 29 different till death do us part promises. This is what he said. No, no regrets. I got what I wanted out of each one. I didn't do it for them anyway. I did it for me. I did it for me. Now you know what I mean when I opened with saying it's one of the most selfish things that I had ever heard. It's hard to find anything more selfish than that. This morning, we come to the fourth message in our topical series on stewardship. 
So far, we've seen the importance of acknowledging that God is the owner and the ruler of all things. Everything belongs to him. We've heard the call to share our lives and the gospel with others in our communities. Last week, you might remember, we were reminded of that debt of love that we owe to others and how that debt shapes how we steward our many and varied relationships. Now in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, we're confronted by yet another call. A call that not only builds upon what we've already learned, but a call that challenges any hint of selfishness that might lie within us. It's a call that challenges us to take the spiritual gifts we've been given and use them in service to one another for the sake of the Lord and for his kingdom. To lead us on this journey of what I've titled today, Spiritual Gift Stewardship, I'd like us to consider God's word given here through the Apostle Peter in three distinct points. So you can take notes if you desire to do so. The first of these points is this. Spiritual gifts are universal in obligation. So spiritual gifts are first universal in obligation. This point comes directly from the text from the first words of verse 10. You can look down there again. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Uh, we know by Peter's use here in the original language, his use of the Greek word charisma for gift, that he is speaking of spiritual gifts. For it is the same word that is used in other passages that give more details about spiritual gifts, passages like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. In fact, what I'd like you to do is in your copy of God's word, keep your finger at 1 Peter, flip backwards to Romans 12. And once you find Romans 12, it'll be easy then afterwards to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, which is the next book. But turn to Romans 12. I'm not gonna read these entire passages, but I think to help us see the point given here, Romans 12, beginning in verse three. Inspired by the Lord, the apostle Paul writes, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For is as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts, there's that word, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And now flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll just look at verses four through seven. I'd only turned to 2 Corinthians. That would have been awkward. All right. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given, and here gift is equated with the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the Spirit in each believer for the common good of the body. You see, the point of these passages, if you were to read them all in their context, and perhaps others like it, like Ephesians 4, you'll see that there's a point being made by the apostles. They're saying that God has given spiritual gifts to his people to be used for the sake of one another. And that's an important point. That's a very important point. God has given spiritual gifts to his people to be used for the sake of one another. It's important for two reasons. First, let me say that we must see spiritual gifts as distinct gifts from God, manifestations of his spirit, gifts that are given to us that may or may not be related to a person's natural talents or abilities. For example, a person might be born with a golden tongue. They might be able to captivate an audience with their eloquent and persuasive speech. But until they are born again, they will not be using this natural gift spiritually. On the other hand, another person may be born naturally greedy. Naturally greedy, never willing to give, but always ready and eager to take Yet when Jesus saves them, the Spirit suddenly grants them a newfound generosity and their life changes and it begins to be marked by giving instead of greed. They never take, but they always give. You see, in God's common grace, he gives all kinds of talents, natural talents and natural abilities to all kinds of people. But the key here for us is that spiritual gifts are for spiritual people. And by spiritual, I mean Christians, those who have the Holy Spirit. Sometimes those natural talents and natural abilities are transformed so that they can be used spiritually. And at other times, new gifts are given to those newly born again. And I hope you've been able to see that either in your life or the life of another. Either way, these spiritual gifts are God's gifts us. Gifts of grace given to us as God sees fit. It's as Peter reminds us, even here in verse 10, each one of us who are in Christ have received such a gift. Everyone who's in Christ has received such a gift. There's not a person who belongs to the body of Christ who has not received a manifestation of the Spirit known as a spiritual gift. Every single one of us are gifted. We're all gifted. Now, I've preached on this theme before, even recently, and I know that some of you struggle to discern what your spiritual gift is. Some of you, it may even lead to despair, right? He just said every Christian has a spiritual gift, and I don't know what my spiritual gift is, so am I a Christian? That's, that's a reasonable question, Right? Well, let me, let me encourage you with this. 
God's word doesn't change. If God's word says that every Christian has been given a gift, then I believe that God has given you a gift. Your lack of discernment doesn't know the word of God, nor does it know the work that he's doing in your life. Perhaps you just need some help to discover it. I've made this offer before. Not many of you have taken me up on it, so I'll expand. Go to any of the elders. Maybe I'm just that intimidating. Go to any of the elders. Go to a friend. Ask them. We're not looking for, like, are you able to heal the sick? Are you able to, to put a leg back into play? We're not looking for things. That's not what we're talking about. I can sit with you, some of you I've sat with for five minutes and you've encouraged me greatly and right away I know they have the gift of encouragement. They can use that gift. Some of you have taken my car back to your house and pulled a dent out of it and that's a spiritual gift too, right? Looking at Ed over there. Whatever it may be, I know that if you're in Christ, you have a gift. Come see me, come see any of the elders or even the deacons or just a good friend, we'll be happy to help you discover that. Second, because I want to keep us going, we must understand, secondly, from these verses, how these gifts are to be used. Not only in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, but right here in 1 Peter 4.10, it's clear that these gifts are to be used how? In service to one another. So here's where it might feel like I'm stepping on your toes. You can't be selfish with your gifts. You can't be selfish with your gifts. God's gifts are not meant to be kept and hoarded up all for our own personal benefit and enjoyment. God's gifts to us are meant to be lovingly shared and dispensed freely to meet the needs of the body of Christ. And even more, notice the language that Peter attaches to it. You see those words right there in verse 10. That's what this whole sermon series is based on. As good stewards. As good stewards. When you think about your spiritual gifts, you need to realize that God has entrusted that to you just as he's entrusted anything else to you, whether it be your relationships, your money, whatever it is. God has given it to you as a gift and he wants you to steward it well. Perhaps this afternoon or sometime this week, you can read the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, how Jesus speaks of talents or this idea of the stewards of the house and what's given to them to be entrusted with and how they're to use it. But just know this, these gifts are meant to be used and multiplied, shared and spread. And we're held accountable. And that's the point of Jesus' parable and Matthew 25 is that we're held accountable to how we use those gifts in service to one another. So we see then that spiritual gifts are universal and obligation. What I mean is that we've all received them and we're all called to use them, to steward them well. Now we come to the second point of our passage this morning, and it is this. Spiritual gifts are various and manifestation, okay? So spiritual gifts are secondly, various in manifestation. Continuing on in our passage, I want you to look there at the end of verse 10 and into verse 11, see for yourselves. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves 
by the strength that God supplies. The apostle Peter does a great service for us by simplifying spiritual gifts into two distinct yet related category manifestations. I mean, if you like to organize, this is great. You now have a heading to put over the different gifts. What do I mean by that? Well, the first is what we might call word gifts, gifts of the word. The second are what we might call works gifts or gifts of works. So let's look at each one of those individually to help you understand. Word gifts are those gifts related to speaking. He talks about speaking here. Gifts like preaching, teaching, counseling, shepherding, evangelism, and exhortation. And right away, you see how these gifts are especially useful for pastors and elders in their role of overseeing and feeding the flock of God. And that's why we say elders in the church generally are the leaders in the word gifts, those who are leading and also training and shepherding in those gifts to others. But these gifts are not unique, reserved just for pastors and elders. These gifts are also useful for those who teach in children's ministry, those who lead Bible studies and small groups, those who spend time meeting and encouraging others, maybe counseling others, for those who share the gospel with others regularly in evangelism, for those who write or teach in formal contexts. And I was reminded of this this week. Even those who sing, even those who lead in the singing of God's truth and glory. But no matter how the various speaking-related gifts are manifested, note again that clarification that Peter makes in verse 11. This is about stewardship, right? These word gifts are to be rooted and grounded in what? The oracles of God. What does that mean? It's rooted and grounded in God's word and those things that God has said. So being a good steward of word gifts means faithfulness to the scriptures. It means recognizing the full and absolute authority of God's word. And it means that that gift, no matter the context, comes with it a grave responsibility to ensure that what is said has a sound and accurate biblical basis. For those given word gifts, we have to know it's not our words and our ideas that save. It's not our words and ideas that build up the body. It's God's word. It's God's word that lights the way for salvation and for life. So all of our explanations, all of our exhortations, all of our applications, all of our exaltations, all of them must be rooted and grounded in God's word and God's word alone. And that's how we steward word gifts. The second category of gifts are what we will call works gifts, gifts like service, generosity, administration, mercy, hospitality. There's, there's more, I'll just give those for this example. Like before, you probably see how these gifts are especially useful for deacons in their role as service leaders in the church. That's why we call deacons those who lead us in works of service, right? In the works gifts. But again, these gifts aren't exclusive to deacons, are they? 
You don't have to look far to see how such gifts are manifested in many ways in this church or other churches. Greeting and ushering and welcoming, setting up for worship services and activities, preparing meals for others, maybe those who are sick or those who are recovering, giving of time and giving of treasure to meet the needs of others, helping with mercy-related, maybe outreach-related projects, praying with those who are in distress. Man, there's so many more. I'll stop there because that's not an exhaustive list. And if I tried to include everything, I'd eventually forget one. But no matter what those service gifts may be, please note, again, a clarification that Peter makes in verse 11. Look down there. Serve as, quote, one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You see, the tendency we have in using these, so, these so-called works gifts is to think that we do them out of some reservoir of strength, some storage of goodness that we possess inherently, right? I'm doing this because I'm good at it. I'm doing this because I want to be noticed. I'm doing this perhaps selfishly for me. But that's not the truth, is it? That's not how we're to view this, right? All that we have from the gifts to the strength to use those gifts, all that we have comes solely from God. And this means as stewards, to be good stewards, we must show an absolute dependence upon him as we use the gifts. In our weakness, we have to ask him for strength. And we have to rely on him to provide it for us. And of course, there's no place for us ever, whether it's word or works gifts, to selfishly take credit for any good that comes out of our gifts. To do so would be to deny his grace. It'd be to deny his grace that allowed us to possess them in the first place. For after all, that's why Peter calls these gifts from God gifts of varied grace. You see, they're manifested in various ways, but they're all gifts of one and the same grace, right? You were created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. And a proper understanding of that and an embrace of such grace will produce within us what I'm gonna go ahead and call the third and final point from our passage this morning. So if you're taking notes, here it is. Spiritual gifts are doxological in intention. Spiritual gifts are doxological in intention. When we when we understand that spiritual gifts are universal in obligation and varied in manifestation and that they are tokens of God's grace to us, I believe it naturally flows that we would, just as you see clearly here at the end of verse 11, it naturally flows that we would use them so that, quote, look what Peter says, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's doxological, and I know some of you are like, what is he saying? What is that word? Okay, so put, take the word logical and put D-O-X-O in front of it. 
Some of you know that word. Some of you are like, isn't that the last song we're singing today? Oh yeah, that's right. It must have something to do with doxology. It is, it's the adjectival form of that. It's an expression of praise. It's an expression of praise for God's glory, doxa, for his glory. Okay, so you know it from that song, but you also know it, hopefully, from your life. To live for God's glory, for the praise of God's glory. That's the point of our gifts, to bring glory to God. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I get it, Pastor Dan. The, the point's already been made. Uh, I, I, Peter's making this point again. I get it. These gifts are from God. They're not from us. And as such, we have to steward them well. We get it. So why do you feel the need to remind us? I'm glad you asked. Or that I put the words in your mouth to ask. I was thinking this week about the time I took uh, my friend from college to her first ever professional hockey game, Go Blues. Um, she knew nothing about the sport. She knew nothing about hockey. And while I'm no expert, I knew enough to help her understand the basics, right? I could explain to her what was happening during the game. Well, at one point in the game, a, a player was penalized for high sticking, right? That is, he hit an opponent above the shoulders with his stick. So he immediately had to go to the penalty box and sit out for a couple of minutes, thus giving the other team a one-player advantage for the duration of his penalty. Now, for those of you familiar with hockey, you're familiar with that penalty box, right? Uh, but my friend, she had never even heard of the concept before, and she was enthralled. As I kept trying to explain to her other things about the situation, from the nature of the penalty and why it was a minor instead of a major infraction, right? And trying to explain to her the power play and how that works, she just kept laughing. And she's laughing. I finally had enough. And let me paraphrase for you, because it was a long time ago. But this is what I remember her saying. You mean to tell me that a grown man is forced to sit in a box for two minutes? He just sits there and he has to think about what he's done wrong for two minutes? That's his penalty? It's like an adult version of a little kid's timeout. She goes, I'm surprised they don't make him wear a dunce cap or stand with his nose in the corner. I mean, I had to concede and start laughing with her. And I thought, man, I hope they don't get three or four guys in there at the same time because <laughs> then it gets even funnier. And I have never thought about the penalty box in hockey in the same way. I share that story because sometimes we all need to go to the penalty box to think about what we've done, whether it be on purpose or inadvertently. Reminders like the one we have here from God through the apostle Peter give us a appropriate space that we need to think about the intentions of our hearts, particularly with relation to our spiritual gifts. Sitting out for a minute helps us to ask the right and the hard questions. And we certainly don't have enough time to think through all of these. Maybe you can write some of these down that I hope could be useful to you. Why am I using this gift? Why am I serving, leading, teaching, helping with this gift? For whom am I using this gift? Is it for me 
or for others? Am I measuring my place and my self-worth in the body by the type of gift I have? Am I measuring my place and or self-worth in the body by the type of gift I have? Am I sinfully coveting the gifts of another? Am I coveting in sin the gifts of another? Do I enjoy the praise of others more than the satisfaction of serving for God's praise and glory? These are all important questions for us to ask. Such a reminder as this gives us both the prompting and the space to ask them. That's why I put them before you. You can think of it as Pastor Dan's penalty box. Let's be thankful for it. You know, if our calling in this life is to be like Christ, then it should be clear to us that he's not only the focus of this doxology, but that he's the model for us. And that's why he's the focus of the doxology. Uh, because he is the model for our stewardship of gifts. Remember, it was Jesus who said that he came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for the many. It was also Jesus that reminded us that he sought to do his Father's will in bringing us to salvation. Not my will, but your will be done, he said. And we know that Jesus came to speak the words that his Father gave him. He clearly reminds us over and over again in the gospel according to John, that he came to speak not his word, but his father's word, to tell us what the father had told him to say. He came to faithfully represent his father who had sent him on this mission. And so as the head of the body, his church, he stands as the perfect example for us to follow. Sinners, like the man in my opening story, you remember the one who selfishly bounced from marriage to marriage and died alone, saying, I didn't do it for them, I did it for me. Think about a guy like that. And also think of sinners like me and you who struggle to faithfully steward our spiritual gifts that God has given us in the face of our own varying degrees of selfishness. No matter where we are on that, here's my hope is that we'll always be found looking to Jesus as not only our savior, our exemplar, but that we would look to him as the one who's called us to his service. They're his gifts that he's given to us by his spirit. He knows what he's doing, church. He's given you the gifts he's given you on purpose, not by accident. He's led you into even this body to be a part of this body because he knows that your gifts are needed for use in this body. He knows what he's doing and he will fulfill his will. And so we have to look to him and be dependent upon him and say, Jesus, help me. Help me to know what that is. Help me to use it for you and not for myself. Help me to depend upon you. I pray that God would make us that. Those who are hopeful, those who are dependent and those who are full of praise and glory and honor be given to him for the work that he has done, the work I know he's doing and the work I'm so excited to see him do in and through you. Amen. Amen.